Barber is going to bring our special this morning. It's out of your hands. You've done all you can do. You've given God the problem. It's no longer up to you. You prayed the prayer of faith. You're standing on God's truth. While you're waiting on His answer, He has a question for you. Is anything too hard for God? got a problem beyond his power to solve. Are there situations he's not the master of? Is anything too hard for God? Only believe Trust His Word, you'll see. His plans are now unfolding, performing perfectly. It's clear how much He loves you. Look at all He's done. For all your questions, there's really only one. Anything too hard for God? Who's got a problem beyond his power to solve? Are there situations he's not the master of? Is anything too hard for God? Are there situations he's not the master of? Is anything too hard for God? Thank you, Miss Barbara, and I was telling her what an appropriate uh, song for this morning's message. And facing uh, tough situations in the home, and I know we're talking about blended families, and you may not have been raised in a blended family. Uh, you may not have, uh, uh, or you may yourself not have been through divorce. And first of all, this sermon is still for you because it talks about relationships, and how to deal with people, which that's the way the grandparents were. You may last Sunday night or last Sunday morning, you may not be a grandparent, but uh, you can you can still be an example and and help and encourage other people. That's the way the grandparent message went. Um, again, even if you've never faced a broken home or raised in a broken home that uh, this message can still apply to you because it may, our kids may have faced a broken home. 
I've had, uh, I was raised in a, in a broken home. Uh, my parents divorced in 1976 whenever I was nine years old. And so, you know, been there and understand that God has used that situation both in good ways and bad ways. And by the good ways and bad ways is because, uh, you, you learn from your mistakes. And the best lessons <clears throat> the best lessons are to learn from somebody else's mistakes. And what that means is, is I made a determination, and you try to do this. I knew what I wanted with me and Karen. I knew what I wanted with her. And I knew what I, I wanted going into it, and she did too. Both coming from two totally different perspectives. And her raised in a very uh, close-knit Christian home from the get-go. Me, from, of course, a divorced family and being raised in that. And my mom getting us in church after the divorce. And from that perspective, and so from brokenness, how, do you, how does God take something? We're going to talk about this in just a second. How does God take a bad situation... And make something good out of it. He is the God who can do that. As a matter of fact, he's, that's all He's about. That's why Jesus came. He's going to take a bad situation. We're all sinners. And make something good out of it. We can be saved. That's taking a bad situation. And make, making something good out of it. Uh, so let's stand for the reading of God's Holy Word. We're headed to Luke chapter 11. And verse 17, just a simple thought, but how profound. Jesus speaking, he says, But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house Falleth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to present your holy word. May your Holy Spirit take everything that's stated here today and use it for your honor and glory. May you be magnified and lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the reading of God's holy word. And we'll start off with a couple of thoughts, and I think about a house divided against itself shall, shall not stand, it shall fall. Also, there's a scripture back at the very beginning, I've, we've already covered this, but just bears repeating. <clears throat> In Genesis 2.24, the first marriage ceremony were only given one sentence, it probably lasted for less than uh, 60 seconds, probably. God married them quick. It says in Genesis 2:24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And, you know, I, I was looking at uh, and thinking about this, and why does divorce hurt? Uh, well, it, it, it's never easy. It's easier if there's no kids involved. It's not God's design. We're going to 
the very next point that we're going to hit and we're going to head to is mixed up families. Before I read that scripture in Genesis 16, let me just talk about the splitting of tearing of flesh. Now, God is the one who said all this. He said, when a man and woman joins together, they shall be one flesh. And that's just not talking about consummating the marriage. It's literally talking about a bond of holy matrimony. It's literally saying there's, there's even scientific evidence of this, the emotional and physical cohesion. I've seen married couples that's been married before, even they start looking like each other. And they start, uh, their similarities and... And uh, some of you are giggling about that, but you know what I'm talking about. And, but there's, there's more to it than just uh, coming together for, for intimacy. When God said one flesh, He literally meant it should be one house. I mean, you can tear flesh in two. All of my body is one flesh. And if I tear it, you can take a house. Matter of fact, many of you may have seen this and a storm come through and blow a tree down and a tree land in a house. Did you know you can fix that? But it'll never be the same again. It'll never be the same again. You can have scars. You can be repaired. You can have sutures. You can have stitches. You can repair flesh, but it will never be the same again. Now, does God's Word allow for divorce? Yes. But it's not his will. It's kind of like, uh, uh, and now also, God allowed polygamy, but it wasn't his design either. He allowed it to have the same thing with divorce. He allowed it to happen. He said, uh, if it's going to happen, let it be. Jesus clarified it. They were, uh, according to the words of Deuteronomy, if uh, putting away their wives, if she burnt the toast. And uh, just uh, going on with malicious reasons to put away their wife. He said, no, 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 that's wrong. He said, and God and Jesus even quoted this scripture. He said, they two shall be one flesh. And, but for the hardness of your heart, he allowed for divorce to happen. And it wasn't his will. But if it's going to happen, let it be only for the, the most serious means and reasons abuse, uh, going against God's design, of course, adultery, and all these things. But even then, uh, he said, if it can be worked out. It also talks about uh, God's primary will. If a lost person marries, and I'm just kind of running and rambling here a little bit, but God's primary will, if a lost person marries a saved person, it says, if the unbelieving depart, the saved person is not under bondage. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians. And which means that you're, they, they left, there's nothing you can do. Uh, you're, you're trying to save the marriage. But it says this also in 1 Peter 3, and I've shared this already. That if, uh, say, and it uses the example of a saved woman married to a lost man, if she will try to work with him, try to be a good example, not berating him, not beating him head over the head with the Bible and putting him on guilt trips. I've already said that that's unscriptural. Whether you do that with your kids or your spouse, putting on guilt trips, that's not God's design either. And uh, so, so on and so forth. So, but by, by the inner person, by the heart, they see your motives. They see your actions that you really love them. You love them whenever they're mean. You love them whenever they're angry. You love them whenever they smell bad. You love them no matter what. Okay? You love them, period. And even though they're lost, you say, well, man, I... 
I made a mistake. I married a lost person. Is there any way that God can take a bad situation and make something good out of it? Yes, He can. And the Bible talks about that. It does. It, it gives us some instruction to go by. Now, speaking of mixed up families, head to... Looking at the time. I know some people say, don't pay attention to it. Somebody says, yeah, pay attention to it. Genesis 16, 3 through 5. Let's head there real quick. All right. This is definitely a mixed up family. Basically, this is going against God's plan. All right. Genesis 16, 3. And Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her maid, and they couldn't have any kids, you know. And so, hey, here, just take my handmaiden here. And you can have a intimacy with her, and boom, we'll have a child. And uh, after Abraham dwelt ten years, the land of Canaan gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarah said unto Abraham, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. What is this an example of? They got impatient. God said you're going to have a child. But they took matters into their own hands. When you go against God's plan, you're taking matters into your own hands. That's all that's an example of. Okay, that's all what is... And many times, and we can go through and, you know, and I could talk about Jacob. He had 12 sons and a daughter by four different women. Okay? And you just think about that and those facts there. And, and folks, if you follow his history, what did it lead to? Anger, resentment, and jealousy for centuries. Not just for their length of marriage, but folks... When you go against God's design, whenever divorce happens, it won't just affect you and your spouse. And I know there's, there's no way I can deal with 30 minutes and fix and come up with... There's a gazillion situations. We can't cover them all, but let's just cover some principles. If, and it won't, folks, you know, I'm closer to 50 than I am 40 now. And it's still affects my life today still and it will and guess what and i've got three kids one of them's grown and married and it still affects their life that's two generations it's not just you and your husband or you and your wife that it affects if you have kids and according to this it's for centuries you don't think that that's there's no way that one little decision that we make won't affect. It's just, and some people use the wrong logic and say we're doing it for the kids. No, you're not. You're doing it for you. Now I know there's again there's all sorts of situations and whether it be abuses. I've had and I've had counseling sessions, David. He had multiple wives and kids, which led to death, rape, and murder, and betrayal. And that's just from his own kids. He lost the first child in that extramarital affair. And then just the dominoes started tumbling. And he couldn't stop them. All because of a selfish decision that he made. 
Now there's no, now I've had, I've counseled with people and I've had couples come to me sincerely wanting to work things out. And that works great. I've had couples come to me and we visit. It's all in confidentiality. I pride myself on trying to be as confident, confidentiality and just trying to keep everything there. And I've had couples come to me and, <clears throat> and it's just one of the two. The other one's zero. You know, speaking of the Q-tips, the other one needed some because they're not hearing, not listening, not really even wanting. Things. They're just. And then I've had couples come to me, and basically they're wanting a divorce and they're wanting the pastor's approval, and I've never given it. Inside, especially if there's abuse involved, I've I've uh, I said, uh, well. You know what, you, and I'd say stuff like, well, you need to protect your family and yourself and uh, stuff like that. But, but if I start condoning that, then the preacher said it's okay. The pre- so I'm not going to do that. And you have to make up your mind between you and God what's right in your situation. But I'm telling you to fight for it if at all possible, if at all possible to fight for it. Now, I know there's no win situations but I can't tell you what those situations are that comes down between you and God. It's going to have to. Jesus laid some foundations. Just go by his foundations, okay? Just, I'll just point you to Jesus. That's a good place to point. Some foundations to stand upon real quick. Head to uh, Psalm 77. Yes, God can take a back. This is a powerful psalm. We, as a matter of fact, I think looked at Psalm 78 last week. But here in Psalm 77... Now, notice this. Now, this is what I think about whenever I read. Now, I know you can do this whether you're talking about you're struggling in your marriage, pardon me, in your marriage, or you're struggling in, with a job situation or a family situation. But think about this. You're a child of God, and you're struggling. And you come across this psalm, and it says, I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My sore ran into the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Folks, sometimes when you go into especially a divorce situation, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. If you're struggling in a marriage situation, you feel like, is God hearing my prayer? I just don't know. Number one, he's hearing it, but sometimes he's not answering right away. Verse 4, Thou holdest mine eyes waking. I am troubled so that I cannot speak. Can't sleep, can't speak. I've lost my appetite. I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart, and my spirit made diligent search, which says this, I remember He's got me through some tough times before. I don't know how he's going to get me through this time. I just don't know. But I'm going to hang in there. Will the Lord, verse 7, will the Lord cast me off forever? And will he be favorable no more? I sure would love a blessing. I don't see one right now. Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercy? Selah. And I said, this is my infirmity, but I will remember. In other words, I'm in a pickle. (laughs) This is my infirmity. I'm in a mess. Things are just not looking very good right now. But I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also 
of all thy work and talk of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. I need to go to church. I don't feel like it, but I need to go. Who is so great a God as our God? Thou art the God that doth wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Folks, listen to me very carefully. There may be somebody in our church right now. We don't need to be a church that condemns other people when they're down. Do you hear me? We don't need to be a church that criticizes, chastises, and loves to talk about other people and the mistakes they make. I will receive strength and encouragement when I go to the sanctuary, the house of God. If we can't get a word of encouragement from each other here at God's house, we're wasting our time. Let's, let's, let's put our tithes and offerings somewhere else. And don't point sideways and say, well, they're not doing it. You be the example. Be the better person. Let it stop with you. Somebody says something demeaning, negative towards somebody else. You say, let's pray for them right now. And I don't care if you're standing inside the lobby at Walmart or at the courthouse or at the school or on a sidewalk. Stop and pray. Lord knows Ashley County needs it. We all need it. But let this be a place where there's sanctuary, where there's encouragement, where there's uplifting. No matter the mistakes, we want everybody to know there's a God who loves them and a God who cares. Moving on quickly, healthy communication. Just There's got to be communication and divorce. Now, now what I'm going to start heading to, where I'm going from this, is uh, how do I... Okay. Preacher, I'm divorced. It's done. You can't undo it. You can get remarried, but you can't undo it. You can't. Un- and what I've preached and preached and preached is don't beat yourself up over. Pa- I wish I could change this. I wish I could change that. Learn from your mistakes and put it behind you. Matter of fact, Paul did that. I mean, he persecuted Christians, killed them, put them in jail. Don't get caught up living in the past. Don't live, learn. Don't live in the past, learn from it. Move on saying, okay, I don't care whether you're on second marriage or 200th. Just say, I've, I've got to get this direction focused on God and give what I am and what I have right now. And I don't care if your kids are 20 or 2 or 42, say, I'm going to... And be involved with them without pressuring them. I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to do what I can to point them to Jesus without uh, pointing them, turning them off from Jesus. So good communication tips. Uh, just two quick scriptures. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. So now that uh, whether I'm dealing with an ex or my kids or... I'm talking about joint custody. Uh, that's what we had. We're not joint custody, but primary custody. And every other weekend and two weeks out of the summer, we did all that. We did all that. 
Uh, Colossians 4, 6, let your speech be always, this is talking about communication, be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. That's, talk, that's good for everybody, isn't it? I don't care whether you're healthily married or happily married or single, it doesn't matter. That's good with everybody. And then Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43, the Word of God just talking about Jesus saying how you should treat other people. Okay, and he says in this very famous passage, <clears throat> You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. You say, well, man, that sounds just like my ex. <laughs> well, <laughs> Jesus says you need to love them. I don't love them, I hate them. Now, I'm telling you, I've been there, done that. I've seen knockdown, drag outs, almost fist fights. And, you know, the first time I ever saw a divorced couple be nice to each other, give each other a hug and a, and a smooch on the cheek, and I went, that's possible? I was shocked. I don't know how old I was, but it, it, it was... It... it it was tough on Dana and myself. And I know mom's going to listen to this, and I love you, mom. You did a great job. Here are some tips. Number one, make your goal to understand rather than persuade. A lot of times we're just seeking out, I'm going to tell them how to do, and how they're just doing it, but a lot of times we don't listen. And that works well whether you're married or divorced or talking about your ex or anybody. Number two, choose your issues carefully. Is it really about the child or your need to get even or to get one up or to get leverage? Now, again, I know there's all sorts. Of, you don't realize what they're doing, Brother Michael, to my child. And the other one's saying the exact same thing. But a lot of times it's about pride and cannot, can, you just don't, they're mean, they're mean to me, therefore I need to, and the children see that and they see both ways being mean to each other. All right. Uh, number three, ask sincere questions. What do you think we should do? How do you feel about this? Basically saying this, look at, look at the situation. Try to look at it from the other person's point of view. If you're divorced from somebody and they're working shift work, and I've seen parents where one, you know, my dad, he worked for the highway patrol, a DPS state trooper, and he, he had a, he was hardly, he had to work so many Thanksgivings and Christmases and, and, you know, and, and they, they did for the most part work it out. There was still some guilt trips there, whether or not, well, you spent last Christmas with them, now you're going to do it all over again? You're going to spend, when do I get a Christmas? And that's, that's no place for a 10 or 11-year-old to be put in. Okay? Been there, done that. No place. Don't do that. Don't do it. I'll grit my teeth on that one. All right? A parent who wants discipline or to correct a child online will communicate the problem strategy to the other parent. Which basically this means communicating. Now, my parents did do a good job after the divorce on this one. 
communicated well. Now, the thing is, here's the thing. Nobody wants to be the bad guy because you want to be the parent that the kid likes. Your kid, obviously. But if you discipline them, there's a chance that you may be looked upon in a negative fashion. You have got to communicate that to the spouse, whether they're willing to listen to it or not. They cannot be lying to both of you. And believe me, if you have kids or grandkids in this, they, I did, I used it to my advantage. They will manipulate the parents and the grandparents if they can get away with it. I did it. Did it. Because it works. You know, I was saved at the age of 10, but still a sinner, still in the flesh, still caught in a predicament. Give your full attention to the other person. Don't blame your response, uh, plan your response, interrupt, blame, or accuse the other person. Basically this... uh, and I don't know, this may be on down, I may be being redundant, but uh, if uh, don't, don't uh, try to get your kid or grandkid on your side by belittling the other person. Running them down. They'll catch on real quick and they'll see through that. I did. Okay. They'd never, they, my parents never really did that. Uh, matter of fact, it was always... This attitude, and this is the correct attitude I learned from not only, like I said, the best mistake, lessons to learn are from the mistakes of others. And they said this, they said, you know, I'm trying to be the bigger person a lot of times, but they'd always say that, you you know, I don't agree with what your dad does or what your mom does, or but you need a relationship with them. Did you follow that? And they would say that. They may not always agree with their choices, their attitude or their approach, but they would say, you, you need a relationship with them. And, uh, and I know that there's extenuating circumstances in that. I don't have time to go into that. There's no way. All right? But if at all possible, it, that's, just, that's a good way to sum it up, if at all possible, encourage them to have a relationship with their biological mother or father. I know there's extenuating, so there's just no clear-cut answer on that one. Communicate like an adult, both verbally and non-verbally, even the other person doesn't. 80% of communication takes place non-verbally. And folks, if you have teenagers in your home, you see it all the time. Tell you to do something? Yeah. I've already already given you ammunition parents on if they roll their eyes, you know, you can say the eagles are going to eat their eyeballs out, and it's in the Bible. And uh, so... But, you know, there's, if you watch their posture, their language, and your kids see it on you too. So if you're communicating with a spouse or ex-spouse, be the bigger person, better person. That's a better way to put it. Be the better person, okay? Is communicating with the other spouse is difficult? Consider mediation because the kids are involved. Uh, pray before and after. That's good. Some things to think about real quick. When raising children between two homes, co-parenting is an absolute act of sacrifice that thinks what is best for my child, not what is best for me. Uh, It's all about the kids, not what's best for you. A lot of of parents get selfish after divorce. It's got to be what's best for them, not what's best for you. 
Uh, number two, some things to think about. How can I lead my child to live a godly life no matter the obstacles? And I have in my notes about to my mom's example. Uh, it wasn't right after the divorce that my mom got us in church. My parents divorced, or at least I know we moved to Huntington, Texas from Henderson, Texas in April of 1976. And uh, I was saved in August of 1977, so that's, what, 14, 15, 16 months or whatever. And um, it was a while, you know. Uh, there was no no example. Even my grandparents, my mom's uh, parents didn't weren't living Christian lives, and there's a lot to that, but they didn't. And but then they then they said we need. But my mom was saved. My grandparents were saved, and they said, you know what, we need to. We need to make some changes. We need to start going to church. And lo and behold, if Michael and Dana didn't get saved after Mom started taking us to church, and lo and behold, if Granny and Granddad, my mom's parents, didn't start changing too. And they said they rededicated their lives and started living for the Lord. And uh, so there was changes. It's never too late to make some changes. All right? Birthday parties, Christmas, Thanksgiving, just talk about that, resentment. Don't make your kids resent birthday parties, Christmas. Be big enough to show up at the same event and it not turn into a fight. And uh, All divorces have, with children involved can get complicated. It's always best to hold back any negative interaction to keep the events peaceful and focused on the children. And uh, not returning evil for evil. I think about uh, the example of a quarterback in football, and I love, uh, we didn't, matter of fact, our school was real small, we didn't have football, but I loved playing it out in the yard, and uh, growing up, I was a basketball nut, but anyway, and throwing passes, and me and my stepbrothers and cousins, and we played out in the yard, tackle, and all of that, and whenever you throw in a pass route, you don't throw to where the receiver is, you throw to where they're going to be, it's called leading them. Think about where your kids, where you know and the Lord knows they, they should be, and that's where your aim should be. Don't think about where they are now. You think about where they need to be. Lead them. Lead them to the Lord. Okay? Lastly, on this point, allowing your children to interact with their parents, divorce, non-divorce, step in a peaceful environment is the most amazing gift post-divorce that you can give to them. I believe that. Finally, lastly, I call it B attitudes for life in the blender. What you need to do is pay real close attention to the screen or have your Bible open to Ephesians chapter 4 and your finger or pen ready because we're about to fly. We've been flying already. But uh, y'all done great. Let me brag on you. Ephesians 4, verse 25. The first attitude you need to have on this be attitude, notice the be, you need to be what? You need to be truthful. Put away, be truthful. Folks, if you can't be honest, check your heart. Is Jesus in there? Number two. You need to be angry and not sin. It's okay to be angry, but you can do it without sin. Verse 26 and 27 says, Be angry and sin not, let the sun not 
the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Next one, be faithful to support the kids. Which means this, and if uh, and I remember my dad going through this. I remember him even asking us after the judge awarded an increase in the child uh, uh, yeah, child support. Thanks. <laughs> and uh, the child support checks, and there was, and he said, and Dad, we we were at Mama's house. He said, "You think it's time for y'all to move in back in with us?" And hey, let me have a chance. Let me have a chance at it. And uh, of course, I never have asked him. I, really, I think probably his reasoning was two. Number one, he had love for us to come live with him, and number two, it'd be out of child support. And uh, but anyway, pay pay child support. You say, well. Man, that was $400 a month for him in the 70s. That was a bunch of money. And it was. He didn't have anything until he got through. If, if folks, you're just going to have to bow up, tighten up your belt, and just bow up and get it because it's the right thing to do. I don't care if you have to work overtime, pay your child support. The Bible says to, by the way. All right? And uh, be careful what you say, Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That's pretty plain. Be sensitive to God. Verse 30, grieve not the Holy Spirit. And if you're not in church, how can you be sensitive to God? You need to listen to Him. Verse 31, be clean in your motives toward your ex-spouse. Blended families must, I love this, blended families must deal with the perplexes of the exes. Yeah. (laughs) Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor be put away from you. In other words, uh, have the right motive. All right. In verse 32, be kind and compassionate toward your ex. And it says there, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one. And I can't forgive them. You'll, if you don't forgive them, you're going to be bitter the rest of your life. Even if this, just forgive them. Whether they ask for it or not. You forgive them because you'll be bitter. It'll be like a cancer that eats up inside of you. And then lastly, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, be imitators of God. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and given himself for us, an offering, a sacrifice to God, a sweet-smelling savor, which means is my life. The sweet-smelling savor means, have you ever walked into a house and somebody has a nice, Aroma candle burning. Man, that smells good. I like that. God says the life please if you live your life the way He wants you to live it, God gets the same pleasure. Man, that's nice. He looks at your life and he says, That's all right. That I'm I'm enjoying that. That's a sweet sweet smelling savor. It you know what it the Bible says this pleasing to God. That's what it's wouldn't you Love it if your life was just pleasing to God as we prepare for a hymn of invitation. And I know that uh, I've kept you a little extra this morning, but hey, listen. Our marriages and our homes and our families are worth it. And uh, pray for them. There's no easy situation. I did not, I don't know if y'all saw it, but I didn't see a verse in there anywhere about it being easy. I didn't see any verse in there that says it's not going to be hurtful. And by hurtful, I mean just life is painful and life is mistakes. And uh, 
we need to say, I need to do the right thing and I need to do what God wants me to do. But it's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be without problems. 